you feel comfortable, I ask you to please close your eyes. Take a moment to enter into that darkness. And in that darkness, I want you to think of a very enclosed space. It's hard because we are in this open church, but now this kind of enclosed space, maybe even a little claustrophobic. And in the darkness, it's kind of musty. It's, uh, there's a stench of death surrounding you. And you're approaching this area, this small area, surrounded by these tombs hewn out in the walls. And you realize you are surrounded by death. That you are in the catacombs. And by the small but warm light of candles, you see that there is a gathering, much like we normally gather here for Mass. This small group of Christians coming to celebrate, to give praise to God. And you realize that you are there with this looming threat of death, surrounded by death, but also with that possibility of experiencing your own demise because your very presence here in this place spells your doom should you be caught by the Romans. But as you are there, you are not fearful. You are not not worried or filled with shame or frustration or anxiety, but you are there in peace And counterintuitively, with joy, you are there to celebrate something. More than that, you are there to give praise and thanksgiving in this place of death and darkness. There was this odd juxtaposition, but you are here in joy, recognizing the great gift of what you are there to celebrate the Eucharist. Now open your eyes. Clearly, we are not in the catacombs. But we are celebrating here that same joy, that same hope celebrated with the early Christians. Early on, our brothers and sisters, our ancestors in faith, that they would gather in these places risking their lives for the sake of what? To give praise, to give this wonderful act of thanksgiving to God. And when we think of praise, we might not actually usually think of thanksgiving. Usually we'll think of arms open wide, beautiful prayers, music, song, maybe, you know, the presence of our Lord here, joining together in a place of worship with a bunch of people. But we might not think of what praise really is, which is that act of thanksgiving. You might be thinking, well, you know, what do I have to be thankful for? We can look around just like the catacombs and we can see that we are in a world with much death, much suffering, natural disasters such as the hurricane, human disasters such as war and persecution in Europe, in the Middle East. Even in our own country, we see very strong violence and opposition and division. And we can look around and see that there is this this threat of death and anxiety, this floating, looming sense of doom. But here we are, gathered in this small place, all things considered, together to celebrate the gifts of our salvation and to give praise, real praise, not empty, hollow praise, but recognizing that gift that we have received and to give thanks to God because that darkness was all we had until we received this gift of our salvation, until we were delivered from that darkness 
That we can look to this darkness in defiance. That we can look to death and sin and say, no, I have a Savior. I am claimed for Christ. And in that redemption, I am strengthened by that joy. That joy that I have to be thankful for. And it can seem kind of trite. Maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, but i got real problems to deal with, Father. I've experienced real suffering. Maybe I'm experiencing some anxiety or worry or fear, some doubt in myself, in life itself, in God. But I think to look at the lepers in this gospel helps us kind of frame things in a way where we can move towards that spirit of joy and thanksgiving. We have this episode in the gospel. Jesus is still, it's the traveling narrative in the gospel of Luke, where he's on his way to his passion in Jerusalem. He's passing by Samaria. This is a place in the northern kingdoms that was oftentimes seen as uh, a a segregated area, that it was a mixed race of the Jewish people, the chosen people of God, the Israelites, and they were often shunned by, you know, the pure Israelites, the Jewish people. And here on the outskirts, there are these ten lepers, and they're a distance away from Jesus and his disciples because they couldn't get very close. They got close to anyone, they would run away. (laughs) That is because to be a leper was probably the worst fate you could have. It was like a living, doomed death. That if you were a leper, you contracted this disease that could not be cured. It's not like today where there's some kind of hope. There's a doctor somewhere, there's a specialist, there's an operation we can do. There's always some kind of hope of recovery. But to become a leper, to contract leprosy at this time, meant that that's it. And not only was, okay, well, you're dying, you got this terrible disease, and it's painful, and it's a chronic daily pain, but also, you can't be around anybody, that you were shunned immediately, that you would be rejected by your family, your friends, that you had to leave and be exiled, that you were now the reject. And with this, there was this kind of dread as well, because many of the Jewish people, uh, many of the Israelites, believed that if you had leprosy, It was a curse from God. So here you have this existence of a leper who has no hope of being cured, who has been exiled by friends and family, completely rejected by everyone, even strangers, and for all intents and purposes, in their mind, may as well have been cursed by God. And all that was awaiting them was this doomed end that would claim them in their death. So it gives context then to these lepers, these ten lepers, as they're there across the way, calling out to Jesus. Maybe they knew him. Maybe they'd heard of him. Maybe they recognized him. Maybe they were drawn to him in that act of faith. And they call out to him. And Jesus says, go present yourself to the high priest. And the high priest was the one who would basically confirm cases of leprosy before they were exiled. So he would be the one with the authority to say, oh, these guys were cured. They don't have leprosy. What, what are they doing out there? Bring them back in. So then from there, they, they moved out to go see the high priest. They even questioned it. Of course, they were being told by this, this teacher, this, uh, this salvific figure, perhaps a prophet, to go present themselves to the high priest. And they couldn't have gotten very far because the one uh, leper that returns is able to find Jesus again. And they must have realized pretty quickly, oh my goodness, <laughs> I'm cured. It's a complete 180 from doom to joy. That they had this doomed existence of dying alone and cursed, but now here they have this new life through Christ, through this healing 
of Jesus Christ. And it's completely unexpected. They couldn't have hoped for that. That even hope was not a possibility. But now they have experienced this newness of life. And they've been given this new gift of hope. This new gift of joy. Whereas before, all they had was despair. So what happens? Well, only one guy returns. And it's a Samaritan. It's not even one of the the chosen pure-blood Israelites. It's this one Samaritan who returns. And it's kind of easy to think maybe he was one who had been the leper the longest. That he experienced that despair. That doomed reality that he had been gifted by life in being a leper. And now he has received this newness of life in Christ. He has been healed, cured miraculously. And he returns to Christ to praise him. To give him thanks. And Jesus, it's so hard. You can hear it in, his, in, in, in the words how, how heartbroken he is. It's like, is this all who's returned out of the ten of you? I cured ten of you and one has returned. And it's this kind of sad image of these men who had lived in darkness They experienced this new life, and then they kind of just left it hanging there, and they left. They didn't experience gratitude. They didn't have any sign of thankfulness. They didn't return to Jesus. They'd experienced someone who cured them and gave them new life, and they turned the other way and left. Now, oftentimes, you know, it's easy for us, I think, to to judge the lepers for not coming back, but oftentimes we can take on that same attitude in faith when it comes to thankfulness. That we can take on this lukewarmness or this entitlement or even this kind of anger or resentment towards God because things don't work out the way we want them to. Because things aren't going well. And we don't realize the gift that we have been given in our faith. Whereas we are called to the spirit of thankfulness, of thanksgiving. That same spirit of thankfulness that this one leper showed. As Jesus says, your faith has saved you. That we have this gift of new life. We have this ability to stare doom in the face and do so with joy because we know our Lord has conquered it. And in that, we have the benefit. It benefits us, not God. We can't add anything. We can't fluff God up. God's complete. He's whole. There's nothing you can add or take away from him that would change who he is. So when we give praise to God, when we give thanks to God, what we are really doing is benefiting ourselves. Because we acknowledge the gift of our joy. And we are able to, with that overflowing lived reality of that joy, give thanks to God. Thank you, Lord. Before all that awaited me was the abyss. (laughs) And now I have everything to gain. You know, Eucharist itself, the word, we say it all the time. But many people don't know it actually means thanksgiving. But that's what we're doing here together as we gather together as a community, in communion as one body in Christ. We are gathering to celebrate in thanksgiving to God, to give thanks to God for this gift. That even Jesus, before his passion, you hear it in the, you're going to hear it in the Eucharistic Prayer 3 during the consecration. He gives thanks before breaking the bread and offering the chalice of wine. That he gives, thanks, he gives thanks to God before laying down his life. That he gives thanks to God before entering into his passion and suffering. And since no servant is greater than his master, we are called to live in that spirit of thankfulness even as we experience struggle, strife, suffering, and darkness. Because we are not saved by the world, but by our Lord. We have that hope in his salvation. And for that, we have so much to be thankful for.
So my encouragement is that we pray to take on that spirit of thankfulness of the returning leper. In particular, after the, um, uh, the creed and after the offertory prayers, or not the offertory prayers, the um, universal prayers, we're going to have the offertory. And normally this can kind of be like the halftime at football, <laughs> where we all kind of let our hair down, like, woof, we got through half of the mass and we got half the math, mass left. Um, and we, you know, we pass them in the basket, we got music. But it is a time where we offer, the priest, I will offer um, the natural gifts of bread and wine at the altar. But you all have the opportunity, opportunity to participate in the Mass as well in offering that, that gift of praise. And offering that gift of thanksgiving. And also to ask the Lord, Lord, please help me through this. Help me to recognize that gift. So that in this act of thanksgiving, it may strengthen me and allow me to get through any struggles, any sufferings, any darkness in this world, knowing that I have the gift of life and the joy of thanksgiving. Amen.